You know, folks, I'm really not Jack Benny. And listen, I'm not really George Burns either. But it's the darndest thing because, I mean, we, we sound so much like them. I've always thought so, Jack. You know, on my way over here today, I, but why, why do you keep looking at your watch, George? Well, because it's almost time, Jack. Time for what? That classic TV podcast I told you about. Classic TV podcast? You know, people are just too darn connected to technology these days. I mean, whatever happened to the idea of going outside and just talking to your neighbors or reading a good book? Well, I'll tell you why, Jack. Because it's free. It, it's what? It's free. The podcast is free. Free? What, what are you waiting for? Turn on the podcast. I'm Ed Gross, and you're listening to CloserWeekly.com's classic TV and film podcast, where we celebrate the golden age of television and movies, then and now. Back in the 1970s, variety shows were everywhere. One of the most bizarre was the Brady Bunch Variety Hour, which imagined the Brady characters as hosts of their own variety show. Another was the most popular, Donnie and Marie. What both of them had in common was writer Bruce Valange, a six-time Emmy Award winner, who also happened to be a participant on and head writer for The Hollywood Squares. There, he would do some writing for the center square himself, the late Paul Lynn. And he would even go on to write the Paul Lynn Halloween special, which is a pretty surreal show in its own right. The 70s were definitely a unique time, a point very much reflected in these different variety shows. And Bruce discusses all of them in the following conversation. Now, on the variety front, you also worked on Brady Bunch, Variety Hour, and Donnie Marie, right? Or am I, yeah, I certainly did. Which was first, Brady or? or... Uh, first was first was actually Donnie. Brady Bunch was first. Okay. And then I went on to Donnie and Marie after that because they were both being done by Sid and Marty Croft. And uh, when I first came out here, I've, I'd been here with Manhattan Transfer, which was a, a very short live variety show on CBS that people liked a lot. And uh, but they weren't doing that kind of that hip kind of show. So I said, in order to get work, I, I said, OK, I'll do the I'm, Florence Henderson was a friend of mine. She said, come do the Brady Bunch. No one will ever say you're too hip again. <laughs> so I thought, OK. I think I can, I'm up to that task. So right. I, I, I did that. And then uh, they moved me over to Donnie and Marie when Marie was turning 18 and they wanted to make the show a little bit more adult and a little le less girlish for her. Oh, really? Yeah. So I was brought in then and did, and did it from there until the end. And, and the Brady Bunch was of course patterned on the Donnie and Marie show. Right. Um, Donnie and Marie had, uh, had ice skaters, and so the Brady Bunch had water ballerinas. <laughs> yeah, it was all that was the, that was Sid and Marty. That was you know, oh yeah, that was Lids Lidsville. Ugh. I mean, you know what kills me is you watch like on on YouTube if you watch an episode of the Brady Bunch Variety Hour, they have that awful laugh track that's you know that they had on those Saturday morning shows. It's yeah. just terrible. That I mean, so even if you want to try to enjoy it and and enjoy even those moments at home between the characters, the laugh track is so overwhelming that it's and just I, like I, it was funny when we shot it. I thought we had an audience. You know, we on Friday nights and we'd bring an audience and do all the musical numbers for an audience. Right. 
And uh, the sketches were all shot during that day without an audience. And I th- and the laugh track was added. And I thought, that, why don't we just do those things in front of you? But um, they they didn't want to. They wanted it to, to feel, I don't know, more like a movie or more like a sitcom or something. Uh, it, it just was some sort of executive decision that was uh, above my pay grade, right. as they say, as they say in, in the army. But um, <laughs> so that, that was the reason for that for, for that strange laugh track. And the reason, by the way, we, that we're even talking about the Brady Bunch is because when the movies came out, which were parodies of the Brady Bunch, right? Um, Nickelodeon picked up the variety hour, the nine variety hour episodes and ran them. And people just people who were interested in that sort of thing, the next generation discovered these things and said, well, how did this happen? <laughs> Another one of because those questions. There had been, yeah, again, because there had been all these iterations of the Brady Bunch since the show had gone off the air. Right. And after the variety show, there were all the Brady, the movies, the TV movies that kept happening. Oh, there was also the Brady, first the Brady Girls Get Married, followed by the Brady Bride series. Right. And then yeah. the, and Very Brady Christmas, followed by the Bradys. <laughs> you know all of this. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then when finally they, they, they Paramount did the, the features, right. um, they, they show, I think Nickelodeon showed this because these were almost, they were in the spirit of those the movies, yeah. <laughs> but unintentionally. Right. Yeah. <laughs> They were really campy, and uh, because the idea was nuts. I mean, I think Fred Silverman, who ran ABC at the time, his original idea was to do the Partridge Family as uh, a big variety show, but they he couldn't make deals with the, with uh, David Cassidy, and because uh, he was bigger than that, and at that point, so he turned to the Brady Bunch, which had had. A small, they had like a small recording career, and they did a lot of shows around the country. But when uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't notice it when we actually got to to um, doing musical numbers with them. I mean, they were not you know by nature by nature musically inclined. Right. A couple of them were, but uh, not as a group. And the idea that they were performing family, and that we were doing this really this this really meta. Uh, show which was like patterned after the Jack Benny show, you know, like well the the Bradys are their TV stars. They have they live in a house in Malibu and they do a TV show every week with stars and they interact with them. So it's so these are all real people interacting with real people. All but they all happen to be Hollywood stars. It's so, so crazy. It's crazy, but you know, I mean, it, it worked for Burns and Allen. It worked for Jack Benny. I mean, these were ancient television shows. Right. They weren't so ancient back then. But uh, they still were, you know, nobody was doing anything like that anymore. But, um, you know, we tried. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I look, it's one of those things that's so bizarre. You can't not watch it if it's on. Do you I know, know what I mean? <laughs> you yeah, have exactly. To watch it, you know? it, it is. It's just so strange. But we knew when we were doing it that it was ridiculous. And but we only were doing nine of them because there eight of them. We did we did a pilot and then we did eight more because it was on a wheel. There were three shows sharing a time slot opposite sixty minutes. Oh jeez, <laughs> really cracked us up. I mean, it was us and the two and the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew. How strange! It was such the a strange three of us time. Were, the seventies. I know. And then they dumped us and they dumped Nancy and uh, the Hardy Boys. Rocked on. Right. They rocked on, exactly. Yeah, what's so funny about the Brady Bunch show is to watch how into it Robert Reed is because he hated doing the Brady Bunch. 
So it's just yeah, so I know. He well, he's he's he was a team player. He decided he was going to be, he was going to try this. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, he's he had he was a real actor. You know, and yeah. and he had um he also was a, he was a good comic actor, but uh, he's was famous for doing the Defenders, which was a very serious lawyer show where he was the young lawyer to E.G. Marshall's old lawyer. Right. And so he, that was what he was known for. But um, he, on Broadway, he had done Barefoot in the Park, the Neil Simon play, after Robert Redford left. Right. He replaced Robert Redford. And that's a very light comedy part. And he was really good. So he could, he can do stuff. He could do stuff. So he would, he would commit. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, I, I got put him in a dress and he committed to that, you know, <laughs> we put him in Carmen Miranda drag, which to me is the true test of an actor. There you go. If you could pull that off, <laughs> yeah. willing to do that. Absolutely. You know, so was it, again, I asked the question, was it a fun show to work on or was it just so bizarre? This whole Brady oh, idea. It was fun, but again, it was the seventies. Right. There were a lot of chemical additives. And there was the whole idea we were doing something that was trippy and crazy. And, you know, Sid and Marty, who had made a, a career out of doing kids shows that were trippy, like Land of the Lost and Lidsville and Puffin Stuff and all of that. I mean, those were all like, you know, smack dreams. Right. <laughs> shows. Yeah. And uh, uh, and this was continuing in the great tradition. And unlike Donnie and Marie, they didn't have to answer to the Mormons. <laughs> Donnie and Marie, you know, everything went to Salt Lake to the elders to review. I mean, they were very strict about stuff. You couldn't, people couldn't take a coffee break on uh, on the Donnie and Marie show on camera. You, you couldn't mention coffee because coffee is caffeinated and we don't do that. Oh, wow. So, I mean, it, it went down to that. It was at that level. The censor had nothing to censor. All she could do is if we had a disco number, she had to look at and make sure that we didn't run the lights at the uh, the frequency that sends epileptics into seizures. Oh my God! She was <laughs> that was the level of, of the, where the sensor was. She had an event, nothing else for her to red pencil because the, the show was so squeaky clean. Now the Brady Bunch did not have that, so the Brady the Bradys could be looser and uh, and have other stranger things on them, and they did. We had we all had a thing in our office. Somebody gave us for Christmas. It was um, it was uh, a, a, a wall hangings, very small, and it was behind glass. And um, it was confetti and feathers and balloons and glitter. <laughs> and hanging next to the outside the frame was a tiny hatchet. And there was a note attached to the hatchet that said, break glass in case of finale. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Because every finale on a Croft show had glitter, confetti, balloons. <laughs> Just the craziness, yeah. Yeah, nuts. I mean, showbiz. It was mm-hmm. all big-time showbiz, but it was all that kind of stuff. And it was just, you know, nuts and happiness. You know, when you were working on Brady's, were there any of those actors that you felt you could, like, write for and they could pull it off? And were there some you dreaded writing for? Uh, on on the the Brady show, yeah. Well, the supporting characters, uh, Ambie Davis, who was the maid, Alice, and we had her legendary boyfriend Sam the Butcher, who was Rip Taylor in uh, in this uh, context, yeah. which was totally bizarre. They were great fun to write for, and uh, I wrote for them a lot. And and the guests who came on, the, the, Vincent Price was my favorite. 
because of course we did, I think some kind of a Halloween thing with him. Right. And, uh, um, and that Lucille Ball was on it and uh, uh, Tina Turner. And so there were a lot of people. I mean, everybody got to do something aside from a number. So um, that was, those were always fun. You know, when you have Milton Berle and, you know, some of the those legends uh, and who would do almost anything because right. they, you know, that was what they did. Sure. So that was that was a lot of fun, but I mean, it wasn't like writing Frasier. You know? <laughs> and I noticed it, in your praises, you you did not mention any of the Bradys. <laughs> the Brady, oh well, you know, I love I love Florence. Yeah. I mean, they that, that was I mean, you were writing uh, the Brady Bunch, which was which was not the kind of thing I would write. I mean, yeah. it was that was real um, uh, family comedy. I mean, I can do it, and I did, but. Uh, it, it wasn't my, you know, what I particularly enjoyed doing. Sure. I like, I mean, I liked the kids, the kids and everybody was great. I mean, there was, it was, you know, nobody was, I mean, they were funny because Maureen was going through a lot of drama in her life. And, and uh, so off stage, there was all kinds of stuff happening. Barry Williams was like, was chasing after Florence. He was mad with the woman playing his mother. That's so weird. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it was all that. I mean, there was a lot of fun, and of course, there were uh, there were parents hovering. So uh, um, they and they were always kind of fun to be around to talk to. But uh, um, yeah, those, those characters aren't fun to write for because they they tend to speak in capital letters, right? Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. <laughs> with a new Jan, Jan, Jan with Jerry Reichel. That's who, right. We've Well, we had fake Jan. Fake Jan. We had Jerry Reichel, the legendary fake Jan. That was because Eve Plum had done Dawn, Portrait of a Teenage Runaway. Right. And we, she was now, we called her Eve, I Have a 40 Share Plum. <laughs> because, I mean, it was a gigantic television movie hit and it had a spinoff. Yeah. Alexander, The Other Side of Dawn. Oh, that's right. And... I think, and she was on a trajectory to become a big, uh, serious, a dramatic television star, which of course never happened. And, but in the interim, we got, uh, we had to replace Jan. So, uh, and it came down to, uh, Jerry Reichel and who got it and, uh, Kathy Hilton, Paris Hilton's mother. Really? Who was not yet Kathy Hilton. She was Kathy. I can't remember the last name at the time. I can look it up. That's no problem. Yeah, and it was the two of them, and Jerry got the job, and Kathy went off and married one of the Hiltons, married, I guess, Baron Hilton, and that dynasty <laughs> continued. Yeah, exactly. Meanwhile, the legend of fake Jan was born. <laughs> and boy, does she, and I think this is great. She embraces it full-hearted, you know? She absolutely, just, I yeah. think that's great. Sure. You know, absolutely. Why not? Now, when this show ended after its nine episodes, you know, including the pilot, were you relieved? I mean, was there like, okay, good, I'm glad I don't have to do this one anymore? No, I wanted it to be picked up. Oh, you, you did? Kidding? I wanted I wanted to buy a house. <laughs> Fair enough. But I mean, yeah, I mean, we were hoping to be, we were hoping against hope we would continue to do it. It was fun to do it. We were paid well, and and uh, uh, you know, you know, it, it's, it's. I was not yet at the point where I could say I'm walking away from this. Right. No, it was great. We moved over. I moved, was moved over to Donnie and Marie, um, which was even another adventure because uh, that was a hit. And uh, they wanted to evolve as as the kids got a little older, and they wanted to make them more adult. So it was, I was brought in, and Bob Mackey was brought in to design Marie's costumes. And Bob had worked on the Brady Bunch, right? No. Oh, he uh, didn't. I thought he did. No, Pete Menefee was the guy. Oh, was okay. The, 
this is around Brady Bunch. Right. But uh, Bob had, of course, you know, done Tower Burnett and Cher. Those were his right. two gigantic television credits, along with a million specials, Mitzi Gaynor and Margaret, uh, all of those kinds of things. I mean, he was already a legend. Do you know to this day I can't hear the name of Anne Margaret without thinking Anne Margrock? I just can't do it. Anne Margrock. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> the Flintstones. Flintstones. Yep. Sure. I'm sorry. I know that was a little <laughs> That's okay. It's, you know, they all cross over. It's, uh... I guess they do. <laughs> I guess they do. So you go over to the, you go over to Donnie and Marie. Uh, what, you know, what, first of all, what was the, it's a hit. I understand that. And, you know, you're brought in there and part of your job is to age Marie up a little bit, the material for Marie. But when you have the Mormons <laughs> watching every second of what they're doing, what do you do? I mean, what does that mean exactly? Uh, it means that you uh, you hear no a lot. You hear, <laughs> well, that's wonderful, but she she can't do that. She's too young to do that or that's that goes against our principles and we can't really – we can't do that. So uh, – and it became like a, a running gag about all the stuff that we couldn't do. And I used to, uh, um, yeah, they were very, they were, with the Osmonds, it was all one huge uh, ball of wax. I mean, family, religion, show business, everything was tied together. There was no escape. Right. And uh, and I got that. And uh, so you, you, you know, you'd hear a lot. I mean, I, um, I tell a, I tell a story that is, has been repeated around about, um, uh, my, Melissa Manchester and Carol Sager, Carol Brad Sager, friends of mine, wrote a song called "Coming from the Rain," and uh, I loved it. And I, I, I wanted Marie to sing it, and um, I brought it. And they said, "Fine, great." Melissa had the had the the record on it, but um, they, it would be the first television performance of it. So I brought it, and they said, "Oh no." They reviewed the lyrics and said, no, this is about a woman who takes her husband back when he's been unfaithful. Where they got that from, I don't know. I mean, it was open to a million interpretations, as many as most lyrics are. Right. And uh, um, they just absolutely would not do it. So I said, OK, fine. And instead, I brought them an Elton John song, Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me. And that they thought was fine. And I sat there in the booth with the censor as Maria is singing, don't let the sun go down on me. Thinking, <laughs> no idea what this. <laughs> and we were just, we had a huge private laugh over the thing. That's great. They loved Elton John. Oh, Elton, oh, Elton John. He's so, he's so bouncy and perky. And this, <laughs> yeah. I said, well, this is one of his big ballads, but you know, oh, but it's wonderful. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, there's no and double meaning. <laughs> they just like, nobody ever took any of them aside and said, uh, the like olive you know you know this has a double meaning right exactly so what exactly. was, was it a, with all that those issues in the sense of saying on the one hand hey let's age them hey you can't do this you can't do that i know you wanted to buy a house was it fulfilling creatively writing for that show or not really not really no okay. not fulfilling i mean it was fun it was it was fun but um and it was some things were fulfilling. I mean, when something really worked, I remember the Vincent Price show uh, turning to one of the other writers and saying, "This actually is looks like something. This is this this is falling together. I mean, this is act this is like respectable, right?" <laughs> but you know, so often when you do stuff uh, that the kind of collaborative writing that 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 is, and it's it's all for a purpose it's not because you were divinely inspired to right. write this thing um you know 
Woody you're, Allen was a staff writer on on a lot of on television shows before he got to actually write what he was interested in. Right. And uh, I mean, I don't think you can compare the Gary Moore show with Annie Hall. Uh, he probably didn't get the same charge <laughs> out of the Gary Moore show. Probably Although I, I frequently quote him on um, G- Gary Moore had a sidekick, Derwood Kirby, and uh, they weren't particularly funny together. They, but they showcased people like Carol Burnett, who was hysterically funny. And uh, whenever, whenever they would give Woody an assignment to write a sketch for for Derwood and Gary. You would rise at the top of the page. Derwood and Gary enter wearing dresses. Okay. And nothing else in the sketch would refer to that. And if it, when they would do it, they wouldn't do it, of course. Right. Uh, and it didn't work. He would say, well, they wouldn't wear the dresses. It said they're right at the top of the page. They wear dresses. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, they blew it, not him. <laughs> right. And I, I, you know, when we did Robert, when we put Robert Reed in a dress, I said, this is the homage to Woody Allen. There you go. Boy, he also did the dress thing in a medical center, <laughs> right? Robert Reed. That was did like, he? Oh, I don't, I don't know. I yeah, don't he remember. played. He played somebody who went through an operation, transgender, and uh, ah, well, what do you know? What do you know? Look at that. What do you know? Sudden, a tidbit I forgot. <laughs> See, there you go. I remember him walking out of the hospital in a dress and gloves and. <laughs> You know, the way it was back in the 70s. And onto the Brady stage. (laughs) Onto the Brady stage from there, exactly. You know, what do you think, you know, Donnie Marie, what do you think the connection was? Because they were, and they remain enormously popular, the two of them. Of all the Osmonds, the two of them seem to have the biggest connection with people. Well, they were the stars. They They were plucked out of the lunch. She was the only girl in the family. There were 14 kids. She was the only girl. Right. And uh, so they groomed her to be a star. I mean, she didn't want to be a star. Actually, they didn't groom her at all. They they wanted her to be a, a Mormon housewife. It was the idea that she would become a big star was anathema. And she fought for it. She wanted to be, to perform. She was, she's a classic showbiz kid. She really wants to, to want it and was, was happy doing it. Donnie was groomed to be a big star. And, uh, and when they put them together, something clicked. I guess it was the the the, the idea they were brother and sister act, and and um, they were both insanely talented. Yeah, and uh, you know, they and they represented something. They represented you know health and and cleanliness and <laughs> cleanliness That's and right. talent. Well, you know, there was something so clean about them. Yeah, there was. Were, and uh, the fact that they were you know family and all that, and that they could they could use that to rib each other in a loving way. It was something that resonated with people. Yeah. And Marie, did she have to fight against her family and the Mormons to do this, to break into the, you know? To be- uh, yeah. She had to fight against every, well, her family, you know, the, 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 it was all one thing. She wanted very much to break away and to be um, bigger, to be, to be able to do stuff that uh, they wouldn't let her do. Wow. And, uh, and, you know, and she did, I mean, she, you know, she also got a divorce. She also did all these, did a few other things that, uh, she was not supposed to do by plan. She had postpartum depression, which she, uh, publicized. Right. Uh, you know, this was stuff that, uh, that she was not raised to do, but she's an independent spirit. And yet still very faithful. I mean, from everything I've heard and read, yeah. she still remains very faithful. So. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. 
And Donnie went along with the flow because this is what he was groomed to do, basically, and he wanted to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But also, when he was, I mean, he would run from it. I mean, he had, he used to tinker. He 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 had a, like a, a a basement workshop where he would build things and experiment with things. And I don't think he even enjoyed that that much. It was it was where they wouldn't bother him when he was there. They would they would leave him alone. Oh, Donnie's in his workshop. Don't bother him. Really? So, so just an escape think, in a sense. I think it was an escape until he was old enough to uh, marry his sweetheart and have a family and you know, right? And be a little bit a little bit further out of the reach of the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of independence while still connected, basically. Right. Yeah. And you know what's what's amazing about them is that they they pursue separate careers and they have successes and then they come back together. And and have successes as a team. So yeah, yeah. You know, this Vegas residency has been great, but uh, they go off and do other stuff as well. Yeah, it's amazing. It really is. That's what I'm saying. All these years later, and they've still got that connection with people and each yeah. other, of course. But they are related, so you know. <laughs> that, that <could> <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know. So so when you when you leave these two shows, that period basically, when you or when you look back at it, I should say overall, what are your feelings? You know, when you look at between Brady Bunch and 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 uh, Donnie and Marie. Well, I, I, my overall feeling these were the, these were early jobs I I had when I was out here, but it, it taught me a whole lot about how the business works. It doesn't quite work that way anymore, but it was uh, it was educational at the time, and I had a, a lot of fun. And as a, as a, people would say, you can write you write for Bette Midler and Donnie and Marie, and I'd say, well. Shakespeare wrote the comedy of errors and Titus Andronicus. So not that I'm comparing myself to Shakespeare, but he never had to write a good night spot for Donnie and Marie. <laughs> this is very true. Talk about challenge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, last thing I want to ask you about real quick. Uh, Paul Lynn, you wrote, did you do writing the Hollywood squares writing for Paul or no? I did. I did some, I was, he was on Donnie and Marie. That was how we met. Okay. He was a regular on Donnie and Marie. And, uh, what had happened was he had had a, a sitcom that failed and they put him on Donnie Marie uh, at a gigantic salary as a regular. And I was writing for him and he was also shooting squares, which they would do at night at the time. So uh, uh, sometimes we were leaving, uh, we were leaving Donnie Marie and he would say, I'm, I'm come with me to squares. I haven't got shit. <laughs> and, and we'd sit and write stuff in the car or we'd go out, we'd, we'd, we'd go to a little room and he'd show me stuff and all of that. And, I mean, a lot was written for him and they had really good writers. But, um, you know, he was the, like the king of, of the one line, the zinger. He was a great flavor, Paul. But that that graduated to writing some television specials for him, including the legendary Halloween special. Oh, boy. <laughs> which is right up there with Star Wars. And the <laughs> yes, it is, isn't it? Nothing yeah. personal. Nothing yeah. personal. No, it's, it's yeah. What what was it like though so, working with him? I mean, you know what I mean? Because I mean, I've always been a fan of Paul, and but I'm always on the outside looking in, right? So even when I was a little, he kid, was <clears throat> on one drink, he was hysterical, and drink. on two drinks, he was the Nazi high command. Really, he was. Yeah, he got very ugly very fast, and I mean, he was. I liked him, but you learned to uh, you learned when to you suddenly had a call and you had to go someplace else. Because he was uh, he was bitter and unhappy, and it would it would uh, come out in in very ugly ways. So, but he was when he was sober or 
sober, he was kind of dry and unhappy. Okay. On on one glass of wine, he was sort of light and funny and all of that stuff. But and he was a, a complete pro. You know, he he knew what he was doing, and and uh, I mean, his I think he had a deep unhappiness because he couldn't translate his talent into anything more than a, a flavor. He would he would be the best friend of Rock Hudson or. Tony or, you know, that that character or he would be he'd have one hysterical scene where he was an insurance salesman. And it was always the same kind of the you know, prickly and the world is is uh, is closing in on him. And um, it was the character that, from Bye Bye Birdie that was uh, it was basically his character. It was it was uh, summed up in that one line about nobody respects me. And the, and the kid says, I respect you, dad. And he says, who wants respect? I'm a 10 year old. You know, <laughs> right. <laughs> that was his character. And it just never translated into enough to carry him in a vehicle. And he resented the fact that people he had come up, come up with like Mel Brooks and Woody Allen, uh, had become movie stars who, who carry their own movies. And I kept saying they write their own movies. Right. And, uh, and also they were different characters. They were both kind of nebbishy and he was not nebbishy. He was, he was always the foil. He was the, the guy, the hero came up against. Yeah. He was always standing in the way of somebody doing something. So, and that was what was funny about him. So, um, it was, he was tough cause he was, you know, he had tons of money and, uh, you know, but he, but you know, he was a closer because he, he would get up and he would do one line and they would he'd bring the house down and then he would come back twenty minutes later. Right. So that was not what he wanted to do, and that made him you know, really unhappy. So you think that was the source of that bitterness? Because I've heard about that bitterness from other people. I I think so. Yeah. I mean, I'm, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm sure there's you know people who grew up with him probably have a lot of other things that they can attribute this to but right. this is what i witnessed i mean he was just not happy in his own skin yeah and really really yearned to be um something something else and when he went on the road when he was not on television he would do plays he would do uh the impossible years was a play he liked doing which was had been written after alan king on Broadway and David Niven of all people was in the movie, hmm. but Paul would do it in summer stock and he would do great business. And he was funny in it because he was playing Basically he was playing a harried father, but that he was the center of the, of the story, the harried father. Right. And he just couldn't get more stuff like that off the ground. That's that's super. You know, what's amazing to me is that the man appeared on 11 episodes of bewitched and you would uh -huh. think that he was a co-star on that show. I know, Uncle Arthur, yeah. Yep, the presence right. he had on those 11 episodes is just astounding. Yeah. You know, yeah. But I don't know. And, of course, you know, and with Alice Ghostly. <laughs> I always thought they were they, related. <laughs> well, you know, there was they, they worked together and they had a, I don't know, a kind of, who you stole that from me, and no, you stole that from me, and I don't know. I never, I never got to the bottom of that. Yeah, it certainly looked a lot of their reactions and everything, even the way they spoke yeah, sometimes. There, a it was lot like, of stuff was same stuff. Yeah. Yep, <laughs> it was like so. The Halloween special, though, I mean, terrible, good, whatever. <laughs> I, I mean, it's it's you know, fun, bad is I guess the way you can describe it. Yeah, it's just you 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 have to remember it's of its time, and it was uh, one of those things that was loaded and crazy, and of course. With Paul at the helm, we could load it up with insanity, and uh, 
And uh, nobody, you know, they liked that. That's what they wanted. Right. They wanted Kiss and Florence Henderson on the same show. <laughs> you know, and, the, and Margaret Hamilton is the Wicked Witch of the West. And, yep. You know, all that kind of stuff. And the real, the real irony to me is, for, uh, if Paul knew, I mean, he died like in 1981. Oh yeah. If he knew that we were still talking about him, he would be stunned. Yeah. I mean, it was, he'd be absolutely amazed that, that in 2020, people were talking about it. Hope you enjoyed this little trip back in time. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast, give us a five-star review, and share with your friends. We get lonely. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.